Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and would love to make a topical reference to the Christmas matches, but can't because we're recording this on the 23rd of December. But let's just congratulate Wilf Zahar on his unlikely hat-trick, just in case. I'm Kevin Day and down there in the bleak mid-Sussex is Kieran Maguire. How was your Christmas? Oh, no, you can't answer that, Kieran. How can you? We haven't had it yet. I just realised I've written down how was your Christmas and it's the 23rd of December. How was, how was your 22nd of December? Did you get the new spreadsheets you asked for for Christmas Eve Eve? Uh, yeah, well, I, I spent the 22nd of December um, doing deliveries for the Truffle Trust, which is the, the food bank charity. So that was that was quite... Uh, that, that, that was an uncomfortable day, I'll, I'll be honest. I thought I was going to feel good good about myself, and I felt an absolute ass. Oh, uh, you know, I'm I'm privileged. I've got a full time job. I, I earn decent money, and so on. Um, and, and just seeing so many people go without, but at the same time, I feel incredibly proud yeah. of people in this country who acknowledge that there are people that are less less well off. And we, we've said this in respect of so many clubs as well. Um, and, you know, the, the, the all the food banks and all of the, the organisations which are helping out people uh, at present um, are doing an amazing job. Um, I, I, I did actually end up at, at one house and I arrived there at the, exactly the same time as Santa Claus and one of his elves <laughs> from the local round table oh. who were bringing... Christmas presents to to a family, um, and I arrived with with you know some carry bags full of food, and Santa arrived, and the woman opened the the door, and she just burst into tears, and then Santa burst into tears, and I burst into tears, and then we tried to sing a, a Christmas song to her whilst all three of us were crying, and her, her kids were pointing, going, "What the fucking hell is going on here?" Um, <laughs> So it was it was a very very bizarre uh, experience, but it, it it does you know at a time when I think we've lost faith in in many facets of society and the people who are in charge. On, on a ground level, people are doing amazing things, and lots of people connected with football are amongst those as well. Yeah, I am. Um... I, I, I apologise. I'm, I'm genuinely welling up there, Kieran. That's a, um, uh, it's a it's a wonderful image, and you're you're absolutely right in what you're saying. And th- there will be many people who tweeted us 
to give examples of what their club and their fans are doing. We had so many tweets that we simply haven't had time to, to read out every single club. But just you know, take it from us that we say thank you to every football fan who's doing things. And thank you to everybody, as Kieran says, the vast majority of the people in this country and in Europe and in Africa and Asia and the rest of the world are decent people who just want to get through the day and help other people. So uh, well done, you, Kieran. It's um, uh, it's all getting very South London gangster emotional here, Kieran. <laughs> yeah, in a way, that, uh, yeah. Family, your family. Um, it's questions day, and the uh, first question is from an, an Ali Day in Norbury, uh, and it says, "Are you?" <laughs> and it says, "Are you going to be recording that pod all day? You're going to help me with the Christmas shopping." Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm helping the world, sweetheart, as you as you know. Um, our first question, I genuinely am willing out there, Karen, but that's um, uh, let's blame the babies. Our first question comes from Brian O'Connor. Uh, Brian O'Connor says, I was wondering how academies work in England, especially Premier League clubs. I hear that players like Scott McTominay have been at Man United since they were five years old, although he puts in brackets, the source for this is Wikipedia, so huge pinch of salt required. I'll say, as according to Wikipedia, Price of Football is a village in Wiltshire, and I'm 17. Um, <laughs> and Brian says, is it, is it possible that a, a player could be at a club from the age of five? Five-year-olds can barely tie their shoelaces. How can they be promising... Footballers, are academies self-funding through membership or free to attend for local people? Right. In terms of academies, a player or a young a child, let's be honest, a child can only formally join an academy from the age of nine. And then um, at that point, uh, a single club effectively has them from an exclusivity point of view. Yeah. Um, and they're allowed to play up to 28 games a season. And that's all got to be monitored. And, and you know, there's safeguarding and, and, and there's lots of protocols put in place. Between the ages of 9 and 11, you're limited to 8 a side. Um, there was a proposal that the academy age could be dropped to 7. But fair play to the clubs themselves. They rejected that. Um I think also from the age of nine, and we, and we have spoken about this before. If if let's say that you are at uh, yeah, at Grimsby or Hartlepool or Morecambe, um, you can effectively be transferred to a bigger club, and compensation becomes payable from the age of nine onwards, and that and that is based on a formula, and the money initially is very low. Um, as you would expect it to be, for, for, but you, you could be picked up by a bigger club. Um, now, below the age of nine, clubs are allowed, and this is my understanding, they're allowed to operate what's referred to as development groups. Mm. Um, I, I have seen people as young as three at development groups. Holy shit, really? Yeah. Um, now, the, the issue with the development group is that there is no exclusivity. So you could go from Arsenal to Spurs to Chelsea to Palace to West Ham in London, you know, if uh, things of this nature. Um, so that's – and I think what the clubs hope is that if, if we put on a good show for the parents, then if, if they start if – if we spot something – we see if we see something we like at the age of three or four or five, um, then – if we treat the kids well and we treat the parents well, then they're going to carry on and hopefully they're going to sign for us when they, they reach the age of nine and, and the academy system kicks in. Nine. In terms of... Sorry, sorry nine is too young as well. It's just... Carry on, sorry. Yeah. 
Uh, and I think in Germany they've they've put it back to eleven now because they they don't feel comfortable in the Bundesliga. Um, in terms of funding, the funding comes from the clubs themselves. So you don't have to pay to join. Now, at the same time, many football clubs have summer schools and things with which they will charge. Um, but the, the kids that come along to the development groups and the academies, they are spotted normally by scouts who, who are looking at kids' football taking place in parks and so on. And they'll say, you know, come along. Remember, 99.9% of these kids are not going to become professional footballers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there, there are there are things which make you feel a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I don't like the idea of a nine year old child being treated in effect as an, as a commodity, mm. Mm. which they which they, as soon as they enter the academy system, that's what you are. You are you are a commodity. The, the the chances are that you're not going to have a career as a professional footballer. There are implications for education because sometimes the kids' heads can be turned. Sometimes the parents of the kids' heads yeah. can be turned as well. Um, and, and I'm certainly aware of, uh, I'll, I'll use the word no more than incentives yeah. are sometimes given to parents. Uh, no payments are allowed, but you know, we, we are aware of, of incentivization of encouraging kids to go to individual academies. I'll say no more than that. Yeah, because, um, because clubs are very clever and very aware that parents' heads are quite easily turned with the, the promise of incentives, shall we say, Kieran? Yes, yes. So, you know, I'm, I'm aware of promising players or prom, you know, promising kids and, you know, a, a job then gets offered to one of the parents at a company indirectly connected with the club. You know, th- these things take place. You know, let's, let's not be naive. At the same time, um, the academies themselves are in the main extremely well run. Um, you know, they have to observe FA and Premier League and EFL protocols. Um, they have to have commitments in terms of education and things of this nature. I, I know that the academy run by, by Manchester City, that has a tie-up with, I think, a school called St. Bede's in Manchester, which is a very exclusive fee-paying school. So yeah, the, the clubs know that un- unless they look after the kids, they will get a bad reputation and therefore they could miss out on the next Scott McTominay or Bill Foden or you know, Harry Kane or whoever it's going to be. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Mark Middling. Um, think of this one, Kieran, as a little late Christmas present from me. Uh, Mark Middling's question is this. How are directors' loans accounted for in club annual reports? Let's assume the small print does not state repayment terms. Will it be a current liability, as loans are repayable on demand, a long-term liability, as we know loans probably won't be paid back any day soon, or a contingent liability, as they may never have to pay them back at all? Um, well, it, it won't be a, a contingent liability. A contingent liability for people unfamiliar with the phrase is where there is a uh, less than 50% chance of the obligation being taken up by the other party to repay. So uh, in terms of whether they're going to be short term or long term, um, you would have to take a look at the, the loan agreement normally um, they will have either a fixed date of repayment 
or they will have a notice re- notice period. So I know in respect of one club owner, um, he says that the loan is always repayable one year and one day um, after the, the club's year end. So it will always be a non-current liability, which from if, if you're doing analytical work and working out certain financial ratios and metrics is of benefit. Um, but... Uh, what we are seeing um, in respect of quite a few clubs is that they, they're converting loans into shares. And the advantage of that is that um, with a share, it never has to be repaid by the club. So therefore, there is no loan at all. OK. Matthew Markstone says, at the end of the most recent transfer window, Southampton reached an agreement with former record signing Guido Carrillo to terminate his contract and allow him to move to Spain on a free transfer. When an agreement, in inverted commas, is reached to terminate a contract, what happens to the rest of that contract and the money he's due to be paid? Is the player paid some or all of what is owned or is it down to the individual agreement? When is it in the club's interest to seek such an action? Is it just a way of getting a player off the books? Um, well, Southampton, in theory, will have to go and pay uh, Carrillo uh, the remaining six months or a bit about eight months of his contract. He joined them in January 2018 on a three-and-a-half-year deal. Uh, the, the estimated cost at the time was 19 million quid. Uh, he played 10 games for them, didn't score, didn't look like scoring by all accounts either. Um, and then he spent the next two seasons back in Spain on loan. That didn't work out particularly well either because the team he was at, which was Ligon, was subsequently relegated. Um, so uh, Southampton terminated his contract. Um, if, if they terminate the contract, they must pay the remaining uh, financial commitments. And, and they might still be paying him on a monthly basis. He's now gone to, to Elche uh, in Spain, who whose financial circumstances compared to Southampton's, you know, they, they will be on tiny money. Um, one of the benefits to Southampton of doing this, um, they, they will be making some savings. So first of all, if, uh, if, if Carrillo goes back to Spain, then Southampton no longer, of course, become responsible for his medical and physio bills. It could be that they were paying for his accommodation in Southampton until he found himself somewhere sometimes or they might have been renting out a place on his behalf those costs will be saved indirectly it's it's it could be potentially good for morale because the last thing you want around a club environment from uh you know from the club's perspective all, all matches are important as we know is if you've got a player who knows that he's not wanted by the club he's not wanted by the manager he can he can be a bad egg you know he, he can make things awkward for everybody else, he's forced to train with the kids, you know, the under 23s and so on. So all of that issue whereby he might be saying, well, you know, this bunch of this club's a bunch of shysters. He, put, he makes things difficult for the under 23 coaches. All of that gets moved away. But um, from a financial point of view, Southampton have to pay it. They, they, they got him to sign the contract in the first place. Um, and, you know, a, a contract is legally binding on both parties. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly and I'm always jumping from project to project. 
So therefore, Notion helps me from summarizing meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Okay, penultimate question on this short Crimbo Limbo pod, and it comes from Noel Wood. Uh, I think it may have a short answer as well, Kieran. My question, says Noel, is about the wealth of championship club owners. Huddersfield fans are calling the chairman Potless Phil due to lack of spending and the club going cap in hand on national news programmes asking for money. A recent newspaper article, though, said he was worth £370 million. Is there anything to substantiate this claim? Um, in the, in the long and the short of it is is no. Um, Phil Hodgkin, Hodgkinson owns a company called Pure Legal. Um, it had turnover of fourteen million pounds last year. So how they extrapolated that to get an owner wealth of three hundred and forty five million is you know is is curious. Um, if, if you look at things such as the Sunday Times Rich List. That has an awful lot of credibility with people who read it. And it's the same with football club owners. Now, we were talking in our most recent show, the one which went out on Christmas Eve, um, about transfer market and how the valuations there are determined by volunteers. Mm. Well, things like the Sunday Times Rich List are also, to a large extent, um, created by volunteers because I get phoned up myself by journalists, by organisations involved in the media, and they say, how much do you think such and such is worth? How much do you think such and such a club is worth? Now, I, I, as you know, uh, Kevin, I, I'm no stranger to a spreadsheet, but I, I just make up the numbers myself. You know, I, I, I'm, it's glorified guesswork. So I would always take... Wikipedia, Investopedia, Transfer Market, Sunday Times Rich List, because I know some people who should be on that Sunday Times Rich List who aren't on it. And the reason why they're not on it is because they look after their wealth very carefully indeed, and they fly under the radar. So take it all with a pinch of salt, Noel, would be my advice. Um, In terms of the issues at Huddersfield, um, I think fans have questioned... What's happened to the the parachute payments? Have they been used uh, as part of the uh, takeover deal? And and it's and it's difficult to, to make out exactly what's going on. Uh, yeah, Huddersfield ran a very tight ship 
financially when they were in the Premier League. So you would have thought that uh, dropping down into the Championship financially, that they would have been in a reasonably strong position because they didn't overextend themselves whilst they were in the Premier League itself. So it, it is a curious one. I'll say no more than that. Um it's been a long Christmas, Kieran, and there's been a lot of alcohol drunk, um, which is good acting because, as you know, this is the 23rd of December. I'm just <laughs> assuming that will be the case. Just remind me, turnover is not the same as profit, is it? No, no. T- t- turnover is, is your revenue. Sorry. So that that's the money from broadcasting. So, the, so for Huddersfield, it would include you know, parachute payments. Right, okay. But, but uh, Bill Hodgkinson's company, Pure Legal, their turnover is is their, their sales in the year. Right, got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, our final question comes from Alan Freeland, and it seems like only 15 minutes ago we were talking about the fo- finances of Scottish football, mainly because it was only 15 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts, says Alan, on the fact that Rangers have bought the bo- broadcast rights to show all – SPFL football in India, basically doing Neil Doncaster's work for him and cutting out the other clubs from receiving income. I, I find this uh, intriguing. Uh, it's certainly very left field uh, from Rangers. So they've gone into negotiations with Star Sports, who are one of <laughs> India's biggest broadcasters. Star Sports is owned by Disney and they've sold in effectively. They, they've come in as a middleman. They've, they've bought the the Indian rights from the SPFL, and then they've sold them on to Star Sports. Now, whether that's going to be profitable, we don't really know. Um, I think Rangers' master plan is they see Asia as a potential expansion market. They've organised a friendly against a Bengaluru FC um, to take place, I think, at Ibrox next year. I think they might be planning pre-season tours so that they want, you know, India is, is a huge country and it's a huge potential market. Um, I, I know having done some work in connection with India myself, it's a really tough market to crack for any industry for companies coming from the UK because protocols, culture, business, standard business practice is very different there. Um, so that makes it quite a challenging market to break. But um it, I, th- I think this one's a fascinating one. What the viewing figures will be uh, in in respect of Star Sports for for Scottish football, I, I'm I'm really intrigued to find out because my my understanding of uh, people I talk to in India is that everybody there supports Manchester United or Liverpool or or, or Chelsea, and and that's it. So your interest in Scottish football is probably the same as our interest here in Indian football or Uruguayan football, um, it, it tends to be quite niche. Would the SPFL have had an option to buy these Indian broadcasting or sell the Indian broadcasting rights? Or is this a deal that's been done entirely independently by Rangers behind their back? Um, well, presumably, uh, because Rangers are selling the SPFL rights, they must have spoken to SPFL to begin with okay. and say, you know, we will buy the rights from you. And then it could be that you know, the SPFL said, we don't think for, for us that India is, is a market which is a goer. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware that when the Premier League first started in 1992, when it went round, when it was doing the international rounds, some of the rights it actually gave away, some of the rights it actually made a loss on. Right. But it, it thought that there is potential long-term growth, and that 
is one of the, the smartest decisions that was made at the time. You know, Rick Parry and, and his team at the time, that they 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 saw that football was potentially a huge growth market um, and and they were prepared to gamble on that. And that gamble has really come off. You've only got to look at the, the extent that, uh, you know, £1,300 million a year is now coming from those international sales for the, for the Premier League itself. If, if Rangers can get a fraction of that, then this could, this could be a, an amazing deal. I, I, my concern is... Will Indian TV consumers, and remember, India is a, is a cricket country, not a football country. Will they be interested enough in in Scottish football? Yeah. Um, I hope you said India is a goer deliberately, Kieran, because if so, that's a very good geographical pun. <laughs> very impressed. That's a good way of ending this this Christmas limbo pod. Uh, I don't know what to say now. As we said, Merry Christmas, uh on the Christmas pod, obviously, and we'll say Happy New Year on the New Year pods. I don't know what you say at the end of the one in between. Um, have a good few days, I suppose, and we'll see you on New Year's Eve. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, son, for the